Action Park Media. Welcome to another episode of Victory the Podcast. I'm Doug Allen. Kevin Connolly in here for the bonus episode. Are you liking this bonus episode? I love the bonus episode. Jimmy Conn was phenomenal. Right. People seem to really get into it. So yeah. keeping us on brand. People tune in to listen to certain things, and I, I think you get that with James. Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing that, uh, you know, Venner, actually, our music guy, had a great idea for the podcast to bring in people, athletes, actors, whatever, and talk about who their crew was that they came up their with. Entourage. That they, yeah, their entourage. Right, like that, let's get Johnny Manziel in here and listen to him talk about his entourage, right? Guys, yeah. it'd be great. Stuff or like or we'll get Russell Wilson if he uh, responds to anybody, so you know? I'm mad about that. <laughs> You're so mad. Have you not spoken to Russell Wilson? I haven't heard from Russell since I told him I wanted him on the podcast. Is no. he mad at you? What would he be mad at me about? Right. He loves me. You've been nothing but a good friend to him. Why? Can, how could he possibly be mad? Uh, you know, maybe you guys were like two peas in a pod, and now you're just maybe you did something. You don't know it. I, but I don't know if we were two peas in a pod. But no, I mean, I mean you know, that you guys. You know, we've been around uh, a, a lot long time. of times. You, you people like oh, especially when it's like a superstar athlete. You're like oh yeah, it's my buddy, right? You almost feel like you're closer than you are. But you and Russell are really are legitimate. Yeah, friends. we were legitimate friends. But I mean, also you know, like not to throw a plug for my other show, Day Ones. But you know, I was there for Russell Day, not Day, day one, one, but Day One of his pro career and towards the end of his college career. So I'd love to get him on the podcast. And I think now we've proven. By the way, just a little heads up for everybody out there. We thank you all. All for all the support and appreciation, but uh, we hit number one in Australia in TV and film, number five in the U.S., number yeah, two in Canada. Yeah, they're listening to us in, in, in crazy places, which is exciting. Do you know uh, what we're ranked in Jamaica as of this moment? Number two in the Did you TV just try film. to do a weird Jamaican accent? No, Did no. you almost slip into a Jamaican uh-uh. accent? No, no, no. That might have been my British accent. Because <laughs> my, my buddy Darren Dean, who manages You're Thierry. on Zooms with uh, British people. Yeah, but when I... English accents. But when I try to do my British accent, they tell me I'm doing a Jamaican it's accent, terrible. which is weird. But, you, know, you don't think this is all right, Mike? That's probably good now. You're getting there, bro. You're getting there. No, so, listen, when I did Snatch, I, you know, I was in Malaga, Spain. Tell me for about Snatch. Four months. This with, is the TV version it's the of the TV show. the TV show version of Snatch. And I, and, and I was in Malaga, Spain with these guys for four months, and they were a blast to hang out with. But yeah. by the end of it, not only did I start to understand the lingo, I kind of liked some of it better than, I, uh, than in the American lingo. And you bring it back here. But I think I had it down a little but bit. But were people looking at you like, stop trying to talk with a Jamaican accent? Or well, no, okay? But, but the funny part, was um we had a, a spanish speaking actress who was doing her first english speaking role and as the director i would be talking to her and i would say listen i know i talk a million miles an hour i know i'm hard to understand so just tell me and i'll i'll try to slow down because i know it's me and it and it is when she you're trying to understand english i'm probably not <laughs> the guy that you want talking a million miles an hour right and she said actually you're easier to understand than then the the Cockney uh, English accent is is very strong. Yeah, I mean it is tough. It's interesting while, while casting the show, the amount of different accents just in London, you know. And I know we got it here. You go, okay, Boston, Chicago, New York. But- well, listen, New York. You know, Doug and I both from Long Island. Long Island is different from Manhattan. Long Island is different from Brooklyn. Long Island, Jersey. by the way, the worst. At, I love Long, Long Island. Island. It's the laziest, worst most it's just gross the long island accent is gross i've been guilty of it my whole life i listen to videos or i see stuff about when i was a kid listening i'm like i can't even listen to myself it's yeah. it's uh, it's inaudible see i mean it's wild you know i've been out of new york for 30 years but there's uh, nobody years but nobody would ever talk to me for more than 30 seconds and not go oh gee where are you from so right. somehow i've maintained it which you know i always think about that with jerry jerry i we've never even talked about him we have to talk to jerry next time he's on about whether he worked on his accent because jerry's season one two three is just 
got such an authentic, and I do love Brooklyn accent. Jerry has a real authentic Brooklyn accent, but by season eight, you know, he's almost he's almost British. Jerry well, Turtle's well, like speaking proper English. Well, I, I think I think it's at like the show. I mean, when I first moved out here, my accent was horrible. It went away a little bit, but that's what happens when you're you know you adapt to the accent. If I go back to Long Island for too long and I hang out with my buddies for an extended period of time, the accent starts to trickle back. I mean, it's just human nature. It's ingrained inside. Yeah. Of so well, anyway, I'm excited today talking about New York. I mean, Sheila Jaffe was our casting director who also cast The Sopranos. and well, Who also is, listen, there's a lot of great casting directors out there, but she is a top shelf, top tier casting director. You don't get a whole lot bigger. You get to a certain level and she's there. Yeah. And I'm interested, honestly, obviously I know casting entourage, which I think people will be interested in hearing about, but I want to hear about The Sopranos and some people may not understand the actual role of the casting director and some actors even who are listening out there. Um, you know, Sheila's going to really explain what she does, how she works with, let's say, a creator like myself or a director who's right. working on the on the pilot, like David Frankel, who, was, who did a great job on our pilot. We're going to bring on, right now, great casting director, Sheila, Sheila Jaffe. Boom. All right, so welcome, everybody. One of my favorite people in Hollywood who helped make my career happen, and Kevin Connolly's, I For think. For sure, absolutely. Casting director to the stars. Legend. Legendary. Sheila Jaffe, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you, Doug? How are you, Kevin? We're good. We're I good. I mean, Sheila, you look exactly the same, and I haven't seen you in a few years live. I love that. Thank you. Yep, yeah, Sheila good. doesn't age. She does not age, so you look <laughs> I, great, Did Sheila. I look the same when I met you, Kevin? Yeah, 1990, <laughs> Alan and Naomi, where I met, to this day, one of my best friends, Lucas Haas, and I know it was one of Sheila's early movies. And what was this movie? Tell us about it, and let's talk about how Sheila cast you in this. Well, it was uh, it was a right a World War Two. It was a World War Two movie about a little French girl. Was she? Yeah, you know, she was. She French. was French. Yeah, and uh, she lived in a neighborhood where nobody was friendly with her. I think I remember. And then Lucas became friendly with her, and they had a little. They were young, but they had like a little. Yeah, they had a little crush girlfriend. on each other. So and Lucas I was, was like, like a lead. You were like a sidekick. Yes, I was the sidekick that you know, arguably he stole was, the show. He was the bad kid. Yeah, he I, was the, yeah, he I was the bully. <laughs> Shocking. He's I, the bully I, in the podcast, <laughs> Sheila. I, I, I was hard on Lucas because he was spending more time with the girl than me, which is like what kids do. But it was it was a great little movie. And, uh, and you auditioned for Sheila? Is that how you got I, it? I did audition for Sheila, yeah. Wow. He was a child. Yeah. He's still I, a fucking too. child. I was 16. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, Sheila, I'm going to ask you, you can lie if you want, but do you remember this audition by any chance? <laughs> no. I mean, did, did... She remembers casting. <laughs> no, I, I do remember loving him for the role, though. I remember thinking this kid is perfect for this role because yeah. he was this, like, New York kind of, like, you know, feisty guy. I mean, like, we have you know, to... like he is now. We have to talk about... I mean, I, we're going to jump all over the place, but we have to talk about casting Kevin for Entourage because Sheila and I had so many absurd battles about this because the reality was... And Kevin, by the way, Sheila, he's denied this on this podcast like a thousand times. Oh, Ke no, he didn't want to do it. Right. But, well, but thank why? you, Sheila, but I wasn't retired. He was retired from acting. No, 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 Thank no. you, Sheila. He wanted to direct. Right. Right. I was attached to direct no Alpha acting. Dog. I yes. was attached to direct Alpha wanted Dog. to direct, and he wasn't sure. And I called him not once, but twice, Kevin. I called you twice. And twice I was told by you, 
I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I want to direct. I'm close to getting the money for uh, what Alpha was Dog. It, was it was it Alpha Gardner? Dog. No, it was Alpha Dog. Oh, Alpha Dog. So Alpha Gardner Dog of Eden was before. Alpha yeah. Dog ultimately got made. Nick Cassavetes directed it with uh, Timberlake was in it, right? Timberlake was in it. Yeah, good Emil movie. Hirsch. Yeah, it was a, it was a good Emil movie. Hirsch. And uh, yeah, and, and Nick and I, Nick wrote the script and he and I got <laughs> into an argument and he fired me. He said, I'll direct it myself. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go do this pilot then. Oh my God. So if he doesn't fire you. No. You're- Kevin, you didn't do the pilot till Mark Wahlberg called you. Threatened because him. Every, everybody was on me. Doug, Lev, Mark, everybody was on me. No, you have to get Kevin. I said, he doesn't want to do it. What do you want me to and do? And you got to understand, I Sheila can't... is a very calming presence, but Sheila was like, Doug, enough. Read my lips, He's not Doug. doing it. And I'm like, and I didn't know who Kevin was. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? He's retired? Like, yeah, what is this You shit? love that word retired, but Sheila, I Mark... He, Mark? No, you never said the word retired. Thank you. Just you. Said, I, yeah. Sheila, you are an amazing <laughs> diplomat. But 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 no, uh, you know, and that's the other thing, too, about Mark. Like, we, we joke around about this, like, threatening thing from Mark. Mark was as smooth yeah. and as cool as a cucumber. And he sat me down and he said, Kevin, I'm asking you as a favor to just explore this. Yeah. Sit down with these guys. That's all I ask. And I was like, okay, wow. And that was it. But and, there was and, no, Mark didn't have me in a headlock at the Beverly Hills Hotel. I'm going to tell you, Mark, I've worked with him on, I think, like 14 different projects now. He is such a good producer. Oh, yeah. He is exactly that. He's very calm and knows how to navigate the yeah. waters. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mark, are- Mark was always amazingly supportive. And, you know, I think Mark, too, we knew. I mean, Mark and Lev both knew Connolly. I didn't. They knew he was the guy. And it was just a matter of time because, I mean, Sheila, let's talk about, and and I do want to somehow Let, yeah, jump let's talk around. About all the, but let's talk about casting all the guys. Because, yeah. Sheila, do you remember the split screen thing that somebody cut of adrian and i because he was in mexico do you remember the story what happened was eric the the he was a pa he cut together their auditions kevin and adrian but let's talk let's talk about the starting of the process of this because lev and mark this was really their first tv show this was my first tv show and we get sheila on who'd worked with mark i don't think he'd worked with lev at all before right uh no, I don't think well, so. Well, it was Lev's first thing, really, right? Well, he, Lev had something on a network, uh, a TV with like. No, I didn't work with him. I worked with him in the sense of him being Mark's manager. Right. So, like, when we were doing different projects, you know, I would deal with Lev. And I know Lev from when Lev worked at UTA at a talent agency on as an assistant to David Schiff, and Mark was rep by David Schiff at the time. We're talking about Steve Levinson, who was uh, an executive producer, partners with Doug, and also represents and continues to represent Mark Wahlberg. And Jerry Ferraro. And Jerry Ferraro. Yeah. And, di- and, and Adrian, Je- maybe. He did represent Adrian. So, Sheila, you, yeah, you come into this process. You just come off The Sopranos, which I do want to spend some time talking about that. But you come off The Sopranos, and now you're with a bunch of knuckleheads who have never done this before. <laughs> and- oh, God, Sheila, God bless you. What you must have gone uh, put up with well- in that room with these guys. <laughs> Mother okay, Mary of God. Yeah. Well, the auditioning process for that was just, I, I don't know if you guys, well, Kevin, you, I don't know how many times you just came in once, right, Kevin? Yeah, I, kicking and screaming, but I did. I did come in and sure enough, like one of them offended me, told me I looked like his dad. <laughs> Do you uh, remember that show? Years old. <laughs> Steve Tompkins was like, you look like my father. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> I couldn't Tompkins. remember his name, Steve. He was they really good. Like, but- so there was all you guys and, um. You know, it was very exciting for you because it was Lev's first thing. It was your first thing, Doug. It was HBO, which was a big deal. Sure yeah. was. You know, you guys had to see the world. 
I don't know if you know. And it was so long ago. It was VHS tapes. Yeah. Do you remember oh that? I have we had. That's why, Kevin, they probably had to do a split screen because there was no way. You couldn't Zoom. You weren't doing <laughs> DVDs. It was VHS. And poor Vanessa was the associate on Vanessa it. Vanessa Rodriguez, me. who I still speak to. She's great. Yes. Yeah. She's the greatest. She would pull the hair out of her head making copies of these DVDs, which oh. took forever oh my because God. you all needed your own copy. Yeah, you all, I, like, it was just an absolute mayhem. So you got you get the script. I mean, obviously, Mark calls you up, so you're probably going to do it. But also, Sheila, no, you have a personal relationship with Mark. You're you and Mark are like buddies at this point. Yeah, and too, I knew right? the entourage. I knew right. everybody that you know. Again, these guys are Eric Weinstein E, who we're going to get on the podcast at some point. Very different than what E became on the show, but but I love Eric. Weinstein. Oh, Eric Weinstein's amazing. But one of Mark's uh, good friends and been around forever. Then there was a Johnny Drama who has a lot more similarities with the Johnny drama on the show than that. And then there were a bunch of other guys, whether it was Jay Janone or this one or that one that kind of compiled a bunch of people. Jay Jay Janone, our casting, our second casting Casting associate. (laughs) So Jay was one of Mark's boys also, and and we put him in charge of casting extras. And Jay, I think, enjoyed that job. Maybe we'll get Jay on at some point to talk about it. But Well, he... He was casting the hot girls. <laughs> I don't. We don't talk. We don't say hot girls. He was anymore. working Sheila. at nightclubs. He was handing out <laughs> oh. business cards at nightclubs. <laughs> so Sheila, you get this script from yeah. Mark. Are you like, okay, what is this, or or what? What was your feeling? I thought it was great. I I totally got it right away because I knew the loyalty that Mark has with his guys that are always with him, and I just thought I hadn't seen anything like it, and I. I was excited by it. And then it was, you know, who came to mind? Who knows? There were a million options. Right. And it, you're, you're right. Like, it wasn't going to be Eric Weinstein. It was going to be a combination of Lev and Eric Weinstein. Yeah. And uh, Johnny Drama, to me, was the easiest. I don't know. Kevin Dillon was just so easy to find. Well, he just walked in and there is nobody else. But he was not. There wouldn't have been easy to find if Kevin Dillon didn't exist. Because we saw a lot of people for Johnny Drama. And really, nobody else was even in the ballpark. And Sheila, the funniest thing about Kevin Dillon is that he is just now learning (laughs) all these years later how he pretty much had the job as soon as he walked in. He just didn't know it till two weeks ago. Yeah. And and also that when he came in, I think Mark Wahlberg was in that session because Mark was excited to see him because Mark loved the idea too. I don't Don't you remember? And I think... I don't I think he was. I don't remember that. What I remember is Leslie Judge, Kevin's ex-girlfriend, told me he was coming in. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. But when he walked in, the second he came in, he in had golf us all, cleats. In golf cleats. He had us all in <laughs> tears, though. We really were like, this is really easy. I mean, if we can go like this. And I think Jeremy, we had on the podcast, I think uh, we want to talk about this because I wrote Jeremy into my treatment. When we pitched it to HBO, I wrote Jeremy Piven as playing this. So he's the only actor that I knew or so. Do you remember the scenario with him also? We debated it yesterday with Jeremy a little bit. I I remember he thought he had an audition. I thought I was trying to sell him on doing it. And what, what, what is your recollection? What happened? My recollection was that he had to read. Everybody had to read for this. And that was the mandate. And I know you wrote it for him, uh, but he still had to read. He had to read just because there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There were a lot of people sitting around that table. And really, ultimately, HBO is going to say yes or no, no matter what, no matter what. 
Me, so I, I, was, I was the go-between. I had to let Jeremy's agent know that he had a read, which Jeremy construed as me not wanting him for the role, right. which became a thing that between, you know, I, I think Jeremy hates me to this day. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we had an incident at one of the uh, rap the, um, <laughs> premiere <incident>. parties. <laughs> yeah, we had an incident in New York. When Remember we had the uh, premiere in New York? Of course. Yep. And it was HBO and it was a big deal. And Sopranos were there. And I was there with my partner, Georgianne Walken, who stayed in New York. She wasn't that involved in Entourage. So we're at the party. And I had just also cast a movie that Jeremy wanted to be in with Mark. And they hired Greg Kinnear instead of Jeremy because Oof. Greg Kinnear looked like the real guy. Right. So I see Jeremy at the party. Georgianne oh, that was Invincible. I- he wanted to play. Uh, he wanted to play the coach. Good I remember. Memory, I, no, I remember. I remember the incident. <laughs> now the, that you mention it, do you it. remember the incident? I remember it. Yeah. Georgian and I were at the party, and Jeremy and Georgian. Jeremy was walking past us, and Georgian congratulated him, and he just railed on me. You never want me for anything. You didn't give me the part in Invincible. You didn't want me for Entourage. You were the one that wanted me to read, and he just went on and on. And then Georgian knew Jeremy was from Chicago. She's from Chicago, and I don't know. You never met her, but Kevin, you know. Oh, Georgian. I met her. Yeah, she's not somebody you want to she mess with. She pushed right in front to Jeremy. She goes, "I'm from Chicago too, <laughs> and don't you mess with her." And I'm like, shake, and I run, can I have another glass of wine? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the weirdest thing. If the oh, Everybody's there, the whole cast. And then Mark Wahlberg comes up to me and says, what's going on with you and Jeremy? Uh-oh. Like it spread, like wildfire through the thing. So Gossip. I, I don't know. Right. So Jeremy, yeah. and then to that day, I mean, I don't think Jeremy and I have ever said like two words to each other. Sheila, by the way, maybe you can explain to everyone because I think this is an interesting point that I think a lot of actors don't understand. While the casting director has a tremendous amount of power, especially for who the director or the studio is actually going to see, ultimately, whether it's uh, the creator, which at the beginning of this, I didn't have final say. I ultimately got final say at some point. But at the beginning of this, HBO and Chris Albrecht especially, who was the one who made this whole show happen, He was going to have to like these people. It really didn't matter if we liked them, if he didn't like them. So can you just explain for other actors, what is the casting director's full job really is? Gatekeeper, right? Well, let's hear it. Well, it's gatekeeper, but it's also trying to understand the director or the showrunner, the creator, who you're working with and what their vision is. And say there's a pool of 20 actors that you know that could play this role. You have to hopefully present the choices that you feel will work well with your director, with your creator, the creator, you know, your creative person. Come to a meeting of the minds, but you also have to know that you're right, Doug, the studio weighs in and you have to be prepared to do those battles. And I may like somebody and you may like somebody and the studio may say no. Right. You can't have that person. And that's it. And Unless that's, you're Martin Scorsese or, you know, then you don't have to. But by the way, even, even then, we know, I mean, Martin Scorsese wanted Mark for uh, a different role in The Departed, which ultimately didn't happen, which then Mark ended up getting an Academy Award nomination for. Right. And we based a storyline on that where Vince couldn't get the lead, but got a, a side part that ultimately worked out for him. So I think I, I just think it's interesting for everybody to know that the casting director is one level of something. And often even the director or the creator is one level of something, because, you know, when we walked into that testing thing with there were 
two or three E's and there were two or three Vince's. We all, Sheila, myself, Lev, Mark, David Frankel, we actually were on the same page at that point. In terms of who you wanted. In who we wanted, but we had to bring options. And then I think it's interesting to talk about a little bit, Sheila, because before I met Jerry, you know I was obsessed with Dom in this show, in any capacity, because Dominic Lombardozzi... He just fits the bill so He's just such... Authentic. He's just what I grew up with, and and, you know, Mark was great enough to let me go, I'm making this New York, and it's got to be something I can understand, not just your friends from Boston. I got to bring what I could. And Dom was just what I knew from growing up and I loved him, but right. he wasn't available. And I, you know, I kind of was just like, we're <laughs> going to figure it out. And I kept pushing forward. Dom, <laughs> do you remember we talked about Dom for everything? We talked about Dom as E. We talked about Dom as drama. That's how good of an actor he is. He by read, the way. he read for everything. And I remember at one point outside of the conference room where we were reading, I said, Dom, you're not available. Stop reading for parts because it was driving him crazy. Yeah. I said, you can't do the show. Yeah, you were also saying to me, like, enough with Dom. I'm like, and I remember <laughs> saying at one point, there is no show without Dominic Lombardozzi. <laughs> I remember that. And then, you know, Lev, which is an amazing thing about his contributions to the show, which are obviously many, but he represented Jerry and Adrian. And the part of Vince, which I want to talk to you about, Sheila, even HBO at one point said, you are never going to be able to cast a movie star because it, he would be a movie star if he was available. A movie star, So right. at one point, they were talking about changing the script where there was no Vince. You would see his shoes. That would have been a terrible <laughs> I was like, idea. Well, I just remember walking out of that meeting and going, I, I like, I, I'm, this is a classic Hollywood joke of a scenario that I can't believe is really happening, but it's actually happening. But tell me about your approach. Again, Lev had in his side pocket agent, who I swear to you, everybody, he was sitting in Lev's office on a computer doing whatever he was doing. Saving. Adrian really was retired. <laughs> Adrian really didn't want to do the show. And nobody was no, telling me. No, he didn't. And nobody was, was telling me say. that this guy with a full beard over in the corner was actually even an actor. So I never acknowledged him. But what was going on with you when you're, I've got to cast essentially Leo. Oh, it was really, really hard and daunting. And I remember there was one guy, I shouldn't say any names really, who kept coming in and he tested. And no, nobody really liked him, but he was the closest we could get to the physicality of what Vince was supposed to be. And I remember um, it was tough. That was a tough role. I have but to be all, honest. Also, there weren't I... like people. We read a ton of people. We read so many people. And it was really the case where there was no movie star. Adrian, I knew from New York, and I had also put him in a movie called Drive Me Crazy. Oh, you cast that, Sheila? Yes. <laughs> and I amazing. liked him. I had seen him in a play in New York, but he was far from Leo or Mark. Right. He was just far. He was just different. The thing I want to say, though, about what was so great about this cast was like, it was so true to its origins. You guys were all from New York or from the East Coast. And it was to me, I'm from the Bronx. So I understand that world too, Doug. I understand those guys. And to me, that was like the genius of the show and the genius of your chemistry. I don't know. It just all worked. Yeah, I mean, well, you well, two, all became. I want to speak about two things you just talked about, because, you know, there were times we couldn't find these guys and we're like, OK, we'll bring in from Chicago. And again, I was like, they're not going to be from Chicago. They're right, going right, to be right. four New Yorkers. That's what's going to happen. And like the Sopranos, which maybe you could tell me that some of them weren't, but I don't think so. 
it just felt like what we know is real and authentic, and it was important for this. But in terms of just for people listening out there, what you said about we didn't like the other person that was reading for Vince wasn't that we didn't like him as an actor. It was that he wasn't this role. You're there either are, the guy correct, correct. or you're not the guy. Yeah. You're either the guy yeah. or you're not the guy. It's just and, 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 you know, the and when Jerry came in, I'm jumping around too a That's little all bit because right. I remember Jerry was so young. He looked like a baby and the guys were supposed to all be in school together. Remember, I yep. kept saying that. I was like, he's so young. I actually outside in the hallway again told Jerry, look, if you don't get this, you can be in The Sopranos because <laughs> we still had another season. Right. I was like, he was so right for The Sopranos to be like, you know, AJ's friend. Oh, God, he could have been one of 20 different roles of the Sopranos, Jerry. Yeah, but he looked so young next to, you know, like, you you guys, you know. Well, old, they looked old. But, I mean, Connolly looked well, old. I mean. Well, it's funny too, <laughs> Sheila. We always we always talk about, uh, you know, how you know of all the things, uh, not one time in eighteen years or however long it's been, has anybody ever even <laughs> alluded to the fact that it was weird about Dylan and and Jerry, for yeah. example. No one ever right. said, "Oh, sure." It just it just never happened. I mean, we actually said in the script. The best case scenario is that they were three years apart. That's the best case scenario that was written in this show. Right, right, And, right, right. I mean, it's clear that that is not the case. Jerry looks younger than the 24 he was. I mean, Dylan looked great when we started. He was probably 36 to 38, I'm guessing. I don't even know. But no, so, he's like 33, 34, Dylan. Really? Maybe. Yeah, okay. I mean, so, anyway, there was, a, there was like a 10-year difference, maybe more. Yeah, yeah. But no one ever addressed it. But I think one of the things, because, Sheila, we saw so many amazing actors obviously it's difficult you're trying to get into whether it's my head or whatever it is and it's not that because i try to tell actors this all the time don't be discouraged when you walk into a room and you don't get it because sometimes it's over before you get there yeah well what i wanted to say is i what do you what's your thoughts on reading because one of the things called up with one of your greatest moves ever i think i wrote this part we've talked about it i think we talked with jeremy but i wrote this part for eric bogosian because i loved him from this larry sanders show and you called me up and said gary cole wants to play this part and i said i love gary cole but that's ridiculous like gary cole's this handsome guy with this great head of hair it makes no sense. And you said he'll read. He Making came... us all look bad by offering up the read, Gary Cole. <laughs> Gary Cole came in and, and I was so awkward because this guy, I, I I believe this, and I don't know if he's won Emmys or been nominated. He's a star. He's a superstar. And right. as an actor, he's on a whole other planet, in my opinion. I he, agree. Right. He, he came in and read and I rewrote the part for him. So what's your feeling on actors who are like, I don't want to read? Oh, you, you, you know what? I think actors should read because it gives you a chance to see... Um, them doing their interpretation of what you wrote. And it it helps them as well to see if it gels. I mean, I was doing a movie one time where Julianne Moore came in red because she said, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I'm funny. And you know what? It didn't work out. And she was the one who said, you know what? Right. She learned from reading. I think this not reading stuff is, you know, you know, unless you're Al Pacino, you know, you're not, of course, they're not going to read. Well, I think, listen, Christopher Walken read for Catch Me If You Can and book got the role. They didn't want him. They saw him as, you know, it's Christopher Walken. And he came in and he walked out with the job. Yeah. And I also think it's important for an actor who's been doing a certain type of work to be open to reading a different type of work. You know, entourage is a very different thing. Right. Well, that leads up to my next, that leads up to my question, Sheila. And this is my biggest question. So I understand, for example, right? So you, you, you see, you see an actor that's been doing a show and, and, and you have to see it, right? You can't just take their work 
word for it that they can do it. What if you go, hey, look, I I, I don't know. I I, I don't want to come in and read, but I'm, I'm going to do a self-tape. Are you doing yourself as an actor a disservice by actually not physically coming into the room and, and insisting on the tape? Well, you know, Kevin, you're bringing up something that coming into the room isn't a thing anymore, you know, because of COVID. Because of COVID. So I don't know if it's ever going back to coming in the room, but if you have a chance to come into the room, it's so much better, whether it's for the director or the casting director, because scripts are ever evolving. It's an ever changing thing. And to your point, Doug, a lot of times you don't get something as an actor. It's not personal. You may look exactly like the person we cast for your best friend. It's not going to work. You may, you know, it, it, it just, there's a million reasons. You may be just, um, I don't know, just not, doesn't fit with the rest of the cats. You know, it's like a mosaic. You have to fit the pieces together. It's a jigsaw puzzle. And there's intangibles. Every- it's, it, it is, it, Adrian on screen just felt like a movie star. And Adrian's, the way he carried himself, again, he's a great actor, which people underrate tremendously. Well, that's a very difficult role. Yeah, and he's kind of the straight man, and he's kind of playing the leader, but he's not... But he carried himself in a way and still does to this day because it's within him that he doesn't give a shit because he didn't want. Do you remember? He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. No, I know because he's a poet. You know what I mean? He's got that poetic soul. And that translated into him being a star. He was different than everybody else. He wasn't, you know, he didn't live in Hollywood. He He was was a very East Coast guy. Very aloof. Yeah. I I remember when when, when we finally got the okays, we got everybody. I called everybody and they couldn't have been more excited but I see Adrian. I walk up. I'm like, you got it. He's like, I'm not doing six years of television. That was the first thing he said. <laughs> because he wanted to do theater. He wanted to do like, you know, his yeah, he wanted environmental to things. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. Sheila, listen, I... I- I can say this as an, I've been in the Screen Actors Guild for since 1980. I've been going <laughs> since on auditions. I'm serious. I believe I was you. in there before Reagan's inauguration. Okay, that's insane. <laughs> it's true. So I, for years, have you sit in the waiting room, you sit in these folding chairs, you got your sides, you sign in, they call you in. You're already a little bit rattled because you're staring at the same faces. And then, you know, you come in, you sit on the folding chair and you have one, maybe two cracks at it. And that could not, oh, we just nerves alone. Do you get something performance wise by being somewhere where, I, you know, I'm comfortable. I can put, I'm going to put this you, down. Talking I'm, talking about the, I'm talking yeah. about the self. He loves the self tape. I, I, I just, I just wonder COVID aside, if, you know, being a little bit more relaxed, it's always like, you're always better once know, you have the job. I think Sheila's no. saying you're better in the no. room. You're better in the room because you don't know what Doug and I have been talking about how the script has evolved and maybe the direction, you know, after Doug has heard 30 people read it, you know, he starts, you, you, as a creator, you start getting crazy. This isn't working. Maybe I need to adjust it. That translates to me as like, okay, let me give that note to the actor because now the, the character's slightly changing because it's not working the other way. So there's that's the other thing of there's so many reasons Right. Why to be in the room? Because I am privy to what Doug or the director is thinking. And also, I think in certain cases, especially as much as the actor thinks they need to put on their best performance, maybe they were nervous. They didn't nail every beat of it. Again, Kevin Connolly 
You were E. There was nobody else I saw that was even remotely close. And whether you whether you were off when you came in and talked that day, it didn't matter. You, you saying just, I was off that day? No, I don't even I remember your read. <laughs> oh, thanks. I don't remember your Thank read you. at all. Because I already <laughs> knew you were the guy, and I was just worried. The only thing I remember about Kevin Connolly's read, I pictured, as Sheila knows, a Joe Pesci type of guy. And Connolly came in with his like intellectual reading glasses on. I was like, right? oh fuck. <laughs> he looks like he looks like you know, to me, you looked a little like clean cut more than edgy that I wanted. So I was a little worried that other people weren't going to see what I already knew from dinner. I just knew the most important thing is to get in front of the people and show them. But Sheila, I think what Kevin's talking about, because I see it with my girlfriend now, they do these self tapes and it's like you're almost doing production design and getting lights and getting cameras. And do you does it affect you at all what the background looks like or are you seeing the actor? I'm seeing the actor. You know, I I, I think that unfortunately there are some people in our business that don't just see the actor. I mean, I'm a big believer. I studied acting, as you know, because I did a stellar performance on Entourage myself. By the way, yes, you, did. you were fantastic. <laughs> Sheila was on season a couple she, of times. Time but I was on twice. Yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to remember. Season one, I think. But anyway, look for Sheila in the show. I think it was season two. Too. She's always sitting remember. next was... to Doug. Every time Doug pops up, you can see Sheila sitting right. But next Sheila has to a good her. line, and I just don't remember where. We'll find it for our social clip, Sheila. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people in our business now. I think the self tapes. You're right, it, and people can do the take a million times. Right, and I mean, I think you lose something though, Kevin. If you're not, I learn a lot from somebody just the way they carry themselves in the right. room. Right, I learn a lot. And I think uh, you can learn a lot. And I think directors learn a lot. Just the way the person walks in the room and says hello to you. And I think there's big differences, Sheila. You've probably been around this much. Usually I cast people who had some version of this part in them. Like as opposed to Daniel Day-Lewis is going to, Go be Abraham Lincoln. And I go, wow, that must be Abraham Lincoln because it feels like what I would imagine him. But in Entourage, I was trying to cast people, some version of themselves embodied what this character was. And that doesn't mean they're not acting, but I think it's a different thing for those those transformational actors. You know who I will describe as that? Like Giovanni Rabisi was a guy who came on the show and I was like, fuck, I don't know what he's going to do. Like he right. could be anything. Right, right, right. You know? Right. And that's not to say that. No, any, I, I agree. You know Giovanni what? Ribisi is he's going to have a character. He's coming in with a character for better or worse. Yeah, he's got plans. Yeah. He's and, got plans. and it's wild to watch. But I think most actors and most movie stars, there's a big part of them that's in that character. And then there's guys that can transform into something that's so far removed from who they are. So I agree. I think you always have to find the core of that person in yourself. It's I always use this expression. It's kind of like I worked with Penny Marshall, who also was on the show. Yep. I forgot about that. <laughs> but she was. Ariel Gold. <laughs> and, you know, she was taught me a lot because she would, like, somebody would walk in the room, they'd read, she'd go, not funny. <laughs> <laughs> she would always say, you can't teach somebody to be funny. She would give them business, you know, physical business to make them seem funnier. Interesting. And I... I and but you're if you're not funny, you're not funny. Yeah, right? I, I agree with that. And Penny Marshall, by the way, rest in peace, amazing director who did uh, League of Their Own. And, she had a hell of a career. I mean, but also was a, a phenomenal actor. But that is the first thing I say. If you're not funny, you're not going to act funny. It just is. Just, you can't act funny. No. There's no acting funny. Yeah. You either have that funny bone or you don't. So in terms of that, it's kind of like you can't ask a monkey to be an elephant. Do right. you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if, uh, if you're I, a monkey, you're a monkey. You could be variations of a monkey, 
But I, you're not going to be an elephant. I, I didn't get some role and I was kind of bummed out. And I remember my agent said to me, listen, Kevin, you're not going to be in the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar story either. It <laughs> right. just is what it is, right? Sometimes <laughs> you're just not. Yeah, that was the line. I was like, thanks, dude. Yeah. Um, but Sheila, we have a lot of actors that listen to the show and and casting. It, it's such an important part of the process for just even getting in front of the Doug right. Allens and the Steve Levinsons. In terms right. of do's and don'ts. When an actor comes into the room, you know, do, are you turned off by somebody that wants to shake everybody's hand and tell their life story? What What's your advice to an actor who's coming in to read? What's the line between showing a little bit of your personality and creeping everybody out? <laughs> so I think you have to look at it for all you actors out there. Honestly, it's a job interview. So you have to present yourself professionally. You have to be prepared. You can't come in and don't make excuses. Oh. I left my sides in the car. I don't really want to hear that. The director doesn't want it. We don't want to hear that. We want you to come in and you're there for us. It's a jo- it's like if somebody's interviewing for a job. You right. don't make excuses. You present yourself. You're prepared. I am not a big handshaker and, you know, certainly well, especially not after anymore. COVID. Yeah, yeah right. That's, right. and I was proven to be right, you know. But, you know, I'm in a room and I see 30 people maybe for the role and you're all out there coughing in your hand and everything. I don't want to shake your hand. (laughs) I'm like, you come in and then I'm touching my face, you know. My personal feeling is this. There's not a, a necessarily a rule Kevin Dillon came in, and I guess some part of him you could describe as wildly inappropriate to be wearing golf uh, golf, short, golf yeah, yeah. shoes and shorts. But he was so the guy that anything he did further emphasized that he was the guy. So I think people should walk in. The most important thing I know say is, the room you're saying. Yeah, well, also... Just no, be, be yourself. Be yourself. That's right. what I'm saying. Forget the rules. That's what I, I agree. Yeah. Kevin Dillon was being himself. He was going golfing. Kevin right. Dillon was being himself. Be yourself. It's like stand-up comedy. When I used to do stand-up comedy, which is the toughest thing in the world, like whether the room is laughing or not, you have to do your job. And I think to me, the most important things as a as a rule, again, if Kevin Dillon came in and didn't know any of his lines, it probably wouldn't have mattered because he was so incredibly good anyway, but Kevin Dillon was extremely prepared. There's nothing I hate more than people who are not prepared. That's a big one. Yeah. And, but that doesn't mean again, if they're the right guy, you may start working with them anyway, but the best thing to do someone like Emmanuel who came in for, I believe she came in for Saz role as Ari's assistant and the first thing I said was, Emmanuel does not feel like an assistant in a talent agency to me for whatever reason. I feel like there's something much bigger for her in this show. And that's where it came out of. So I think for any actor to walk in, show that you're prepared and that you give a shit, you know? Right. Correct. Right. Correct. Don't make excuses. That's what I was saying. Don't make excuses. It's a job interview. You have to be prepared. You have to put your best foot forward and be the best version of yourself that you can. I remember Emmanuel's audition clearly. I remember what she was wearing and she wore it to the callback and it was the smartest outfit. She was wearing jeans with the boots with that off the shoulder top and all the guys in the room, you all fell in love with her because used to be like a lot of you guys in that room. (laughs) But her her audition, she was prepared. She was so professional and uh, out of uh, all Many of the auditions we had, hers stands out to me. It's crazy, but it does. Yeah. Now, I've I've always felt there's so much going on to get also right to it. 
right? Because you could get in trying to show your personality and maybe get a little distracted. I, I, I always kind of landed on, you know, obviously you want to be polite, you, you know, wave, nod, whatever you do, and then kind of get right into it and then maybe show a little personality on the way out the door, right? That, that was just, that was just me. And last, this is a, this is a stupid thing, Sheila. Would you recommend or does it not matter that the actor have the sides in their hand, have the sides close, or 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 is it okay to come in with just no sides and you just know it up and down? Would you suggest one way or the other? I would suggest having the sides in your hand because you're going to go up if you don't have them in your hand. You're going to forget the lines. You know what I mean? It's right. just... You're better off just having it there than having to stop, say, oh, let me get my sides. And it's okay. And it's okay to have your sides in your hand, right? You're not sure. Totally. Right. It's not a performance. That's the thing. Actors out there listening again, it's not a performance. It's just showing us your take on the character or how you, you know, are interpreting it. But it's not a final performance. And we know that. You have to give us credit, too. We've seen, you know, a lot of people read and, um, We know what we're looking for, so we're going to work with you. We want to find the person. That's the thing you should all remember, too. We don't want to say no. We want to say yes, because that's a role that's cast. Then we're excited. (laughs) So we're in your corner. How many times, Doug, did somebody come in and we would be excited at the beginning? Then we'd be so like, oh, no, it's not the right one, you know, because you want it. We root for you. And And, And can an actor overstay their welcome? Of course. Oh, yes. Of course. Yes. I I wouldn't imagine Doug being great when that happens. Jill, I hope you will say, I always... I, I know I was. I would try a lot harder than a lot of people to be as nice to every single person that I could. I really, it was important to me as much as I, when someone comes in and is not right for the role, it's very discouraging to me because exactly what you said, Sheila, you start to question whether it's the writing, you start to question if something's wrong. And so it's frustrating, but I really do try to be as nice, let people try it again, even when I know they're not getting the part. But it is frustrating, and I do think you can overstay your welcome. But, Sheila, what do you think? I think Doug was always great in the room. It was after people left that he would, like, go crazy. (laughs) And so then it was all on us. It was directed more to us, you know, like, I can't believe we can't find anybody. It's so depressing. It's depressing, and it's frustrating. But as much as you felt that way, I felt that way, too. I remember... Like there were situations where it was like, you know, when you'd write in the cameos or something and it was like maybe two days before and it was <laughs> your friend, Nick Cassavetes, Kevin, and we didn't have a director. We were trying to cast a real director for that role. Remember? Yeah, well, not that Nick isn't a real director, <laughs> but we couldn't find anybody. And he was never on any of our lists for some reason. We had like big A-list Well, because he tried to beat up Connolly on the notebook, so I don't think Connolly <laughs> wanted him on set. No, That's I, right. That, I think that was it. Nick's a um, And I remember it was so weird how that worked because a night before that, somehow I wound up at a kind of party at his house. Oh, Jesus. You know what I mean? He used to have these parties. Wow. <laughs> like, you know, they played cards, you know? Right, right. And the next day I came in, I remember I went, Doug, what about Nick Cassavetes? And it was like, boom, because we didn't have a thought right. for it. And he, and then, Kevin, you called him, I think, 
That's yeah. a great idea. I mean, you know, I know cameos. People always ask, how did we get them? But, Sheila, you reminded me when we talked on the phone. Oh. The Dennis Hopper part originally, I just wrote uh, Mick Jagger, um, Jimmy Page, you know, and you would be like, well, how are we going to get them? So do you remember <laughs> right. that? I remember it vividly. So, Doug, we would get a script and it would say, and so the boys are in Malibu at Mick Jagger's house and Mick <laughs> and Keith and everybody's there. Now, that that translates from the writer's room where you write Mick Jagger to the casting little cubicles that we had there with, you know, at that time it was Susan and Danielle. Right. Vanessa was gone. Meredith was gone. It was me, Susan and Danielle. And it became lists and lists of every music group and checking avails. Like, yeah. like is Billy Joel available? I mean, that's Mick laughable. Is- Mick Jagger and all the all the guys are sitting, oh. all the Rolling Stones are sitting oh, around We the wrote couch. so much stuff like that. We started <laughs> oh getting cocky God. after you too. We're like, Sheila, you could do it. Figure it out, Sheila. Yeah. And then we'd check and, and it was so much time consuming work. We'd have to check their schedules. We'd have to go back. No, there's no rock. I can't believe you can't find any singers that want to be an entourage. <laughs> Where they're on tour, Doug. They're not available. Doug, they're it's literally like, on the other side of the world. They are not exactly. Available. And it and it and it translated finally to Dennis Hopper. Uh, I mean, who awful. was who was amazing and and you know by and the way, also. Yeah. Iconic, you yeah, know. Iconic and awesome. But also, Sheila, I don't know if you remember this. Every time we couldn't get somebody, I would go, Sheila, just get us Christopher Walken. Do you remember? Go, just <laughs> right, get right, Christopher right, Walken. Right. What's the problem? He, it's I, so I, annoying, he Sheila. He does do that it. to me with Leo. He, he literally, <laughs> he, he just is like relentless. Like, you can't just ask him. You can't uh, just ask him. Like, no, Christopher Walken's not doing the show. Neither is Leo. Uh, Let it what? go, Doug. Yeah, Sheila said that. But, all, you know, like Janice, uh, you know, who's our great post-production supervisor, I said, get James Cameron, get James Cameron. She went and got him. So some people said, Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, Sheila, one of the great things I remember from the movie and one of my one of my biggest casting, like whatever the word is, fuck ups ever. Haley Joel Osment, who I really believe is a freaking genius. He auditioned for that part so <laughs> early and I just I, I didn't see it. I mean, we looked for that part. He was for, awesome. He was awesome. And Sheila said he was awesome instantaneously. I don't know what happened because David Schiff who uh, was one of Mark's early uh, agents and is a great guy, kept calling me. I'm like, he's not the guy. He's not the guy. And I don't know if I didn't want, because I'm usually, when I see it, I know it. Do you remember with Haley Joel? It was like four months. We almost lost him, by the way. I think it was because I brought him in too early. That's the other thing about casting. Sometimes you have to kind of gauge when you're bringing the person (laughs) in. And I think it was too early in the process for you because it was a big role and it was outside of the, entourage guys that you knew already. So this was a new character that was really important. And I, I think you had, you needed to see other people first. You know what I mean? To be able to, because I think he was like in the first day or two. He was. Well, it's funny too, but that, that, you know, it's fun amongst actor circles and their agents. Uh, I never knew what to make of that, where your agent would, would say, oh, you don't want to go in. It's too early. But how often is it the first guy that walks in the door, you see everybody else, and then you come back to the first guy? I mean, can, ha- you, it, can you get lost do- in the shuffle? It does happen. It does happen when you're, yeah. Uh, I can tell you in my recollection, I honestly don't think it ever happened like that 
before or after. I missed it. Sheila definitely said it. David Schiff definitely kept telling me. And I don't know what, because I think, I really thought this was going to be, and hopefully it was, I thought it was going to be a game changer for Haley. I thought he was so good in the movie. so good. Like, that I thought he was going to do whatever he wanted after that. But I I missed it, for sure. And the thing for him, too, that I got excited, because he was so different looking. He was unrecognizable, almost. Yeah, from, we're talking from The Sixth Sense, which he was nominated for an Academy Award, so I probably should have realized how good he was. But I guess, you know what it is? Haley was also one of those guys who is, in my opinion, a transformational actor. He can do things that are completely different. And those are the harder ones to find. When you know what the role is and you find the guy, whatever, Connolly, E, and I know you're not like E, but there's a lot of similarities, you know. Right. No, I hear you. So, I mean, that I could see it and I could see how you could adjust. I think... Haley, like Giovanni Rabisi and obviously other actors, Gary Cole, they just can do the, a multitude of different right. versions of things that you really don't even know who they are necessarily. You know, like a Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, I don't oh, know. You know. Yeah, like I always said that about, well, he was never on a show or anything. It's like Robert Duvall. I could see so many movies and I never recognize him in the movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. if you see him in Tender Mercies to The Godfather, it's like, he to me, he's like the such an example of that. Sheila, obviously things have changed so much. Putting COVID aside, let's talk social media and and this this new world that we live in. Again, a lot of actors listen to the show, so we'll talk about do's and don'ts. I'm assuming, you, well, you're not on Instagram. Are you not on Instagram because of what you do for a living? And it, would it be a big no-no to slide into a casting director's DM with an audition or their yeah, yeah. personal email? I, I, I wouldn't like that. And I'm also, <laughs> sure. I'm also not on it because... Honestly, it's a time suck. I can't. I have so much between, you know, I get a lot of emails when I'm working. So I'm buried in emails. Then I'm buried on text. Then I'm, you know, I, I am on Facebook, but it's just too much time. And if I go into the world of, you know, Instagram, I'll just, I'll never come out. I can't keep up. That rabbit hole does run deep. Yeah, it it it, does. It's tough, but it's, you know, listen, it's, I mean, it's part of now, not for you necessarily, because I'm sure you don't want those DMs, but (laughs) no, she does not. But I'm saying, though, it is like I'm trying to I found a guy on Instagram for this new show, which, by the way, this is very daunting. What what we're doing right now with this day ones thing that Sheila helped me find a casting director for out of London. I wish Sheila was doing it. But, you know, we're trying to find a guy to play a young Thierry Henry. And when we were trying to find a young Mark Wahlberg, it was nearly impossible because there if there weren't a lot of Mark Wahlbergs and there's a lot of, a lot of Thierry's. So um, we found a kid on Instagram. I have no idea if he can act, but he does little comedy sketches and he looks like the guy we're looking for. And we're going to, we're going to bring him into read. But um, for you, yes, it would be a terrible, terrible yeah. time. I think it's, I think it's a great tool and I'm all for like my assistants or my associate looking for it on Instagram and being there because yes, you see a lot of people, even YouTube. I, I look on YouTube a lot because you see a lot of talent. Doug and I are never going to agree on this one. But if you're casting something, right, do you, I, I know, I know the answer from you, Sheila, right? You, the amount of somebody's, how many followers somebody has isn't going to sway you to want to cast them. You're going to want to go with the actor. But is there a pressure or uh, some kind of push? Of course, from, from the studio. From studios or people yes. that have followers? Yes, people say that a lot. I, I, I don't like that part of the business. I mean, I don't think that 
translates to anything. It doesn't, right? You could have a bunch of followers and you could push uh, an indie. That doesn't mean people are going to jump in the car, pay 20 bucks to park at the Grove to go see you because you have a lot of followers. I just can't I see agree. It. And it doesn't mean that you can act. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can carry it. You know, I think acting is something that you need to. It's like going to the gym. You have to work at it whether you take classes or you start improv groups with your friend, but you've got to exercise that muscle. For sure. But I think, I think what Kevin's saying, there's, there's a balance between both. I think all things being equal, you go, wow, we got these two amazing guys. One has 5 million followers and one has three. The studio is going to say cast that person. And, you know, it just is the way it but is. But are so, they? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sheila, are they? Are, would you uh, agree with that? Yes, yes, yes. God, it's that's a, a bummer. Yeah, there's a new, it's a new way. But it's listen, new they had, media. They new... had Q ratings forever where, you know, you would hear about that, especially when making movies. We were really, really lucky that HBO gave us the latitude. We didn't need a star, even though Jeremy, all of you had, you know, had a good resume. We didn't need a star. Today now, television, what do you think about this now, Sheila? Today, television, which you did ballers with the biggest movie star in the world, but today, television is like the old movies. They want, the writer used to be the key in television, and now it's, okay, Jennifer Aniston, let's give her a million dollars an episode to do the morning show. So how do you feel about that, and does that take away some of your fun of finding these new, young, exciting people, or even older people who haven't had their due, you know? Yes, it does take it away. I have to, you know, we were very fortunate and we were at a time when HBO, I was fortunate on The Sopranos also, there were no names. And HBO was very in the forefront of that. They 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 were great at, at putting shows together without big names in it that became mega successes, mega hits. So now those people that were on those shows, I think streaming is interesting. Okay, two parts to the question. Yes, putting the A-list people on TV shows now is a little weird, the movie stars, because, you know, for instance, when I was doing The Sopranos, movie stars did not want to be on television. A lot of people said no to even think about The Sopranos. But now it's reversed because everybody, you know, television's bigger now almost than movies, especially now during COVID. Theaters are closing. Movies might be gone. So what I think streaming does, though, is people are, they're not necessarily have to be movie stars, but they're recognizable faces. Because, you know, when you're streaming something and you see the preview for something else, you recognize people. Oh, that was the guy from that show. Oh, that that's the girl from that show. And then you watch it. So you don't need the names. But to your point, Doug, I think the fact that it is television, it's better for actors. There's more work. Yeah, there's so much work now. Yeah. I can everybody remember everybody should be working. I can remember in the in the be, in the beginning of Entourage looking, and I remember saying this, uh, looking at our cast, whether it was the cast photo shoot, and thinking to my saying out loud, like if this were a network show, none of us are standing here. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I agree. This, and the same with Sopranos too. If it was a network show, who was going to be on there? What was what's the major difference between Doug Allen and David Chase? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the Sopranos well, besides like? talent? Levels. Don't go there, <laughs> Sheila. No, that process wise, they're tortured. They get because they wrote it, they created it, and it's torturous to find the people to do it. And when you can't find the people, it, it you know, you could it, it, they torture themselves. Tell me this they, though, Sheila. I don't know David Chase at all. I idolize him as a writer and a filmmaker. Did what I always said to these guys, because I made the mistake, I believe, of becoming good friends with all no, of them. No, I think that helped us, but that's another story. It may have helped the show. It didn't help my life because they would call me with every problem. Did David Chase, would he Would he tell you you're going to do it or I'm going to whack you? Is that like, <laughs> is that true? Yeah. He was kind of 
removed. So it was hard to approach him. David, though, would take you out to lunch before you got whacked on the show, (laughs) before that script came out. Because when Steve Buscemi was on the show, he called me up one day and he said, Sheila, I know I signed on for two years, but David's taking me to lunch. I said, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Sorry to hear that. (laughs) That is freaking amazing. You know, but the thing I always said about Doug is that I I know it didn't make your life easier, but there was an open line to Doug and maybe calling Doug at 1 a.m. and telling him that I thought the script was decent (laughs) and Doug threatening to Doug would say, if this were the Sopranos, you'd be dead. Doug used to say that to me, you know. But I, I believe in. I don't in that think case. anybody. I don't think anybody called David Chase at one in the morning. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that that line of communication was not open. But I, I, and that in that scenario, maybe not. Where that Sopranos is about living in the world of fear, and and the entourage. It was nice to be able to reach out and communicate. Look, to to be honest with you, the fact that I, I believe the show really worked because, including with Sheila, I haven't seen Sheila in years, and I still feel like this is like my good friend. And I think all of that helped us all to have a tense but awesome relationship that kind of worked for it. So, and you know. The Sopranos, which, I, you know, Sheila, we did a pilot that I did that HBO honestly fucked me on because it was great. And we had, <laughs> no, they did. They really fucked me. And um, we had a my, good cast. That's we, sure. we had an unbelievable cast. We couldn't cast one guy, which we won't mention his name, but I had Michael Imperioli, Michael Rappaport, Eddie Burns. Michael Imperioli, uh, I mean, honestly. I mean, he's an Emmy winner. But forgetting his Emmy winner is one of the tragedies of my life that I didn't get to work with him more because I saw in one episode possibilities that were going to be like, beyond same with Rappaport and Eddie Burns but I just like Michael who you know was Christopher and then he came in and played this other part for me which there were slight similarities but a lot of differences and the subtlety that he brought to it I was just really excited to look for it but I wanted to talk about because in that show those three amazing actors that I had it was the fourth part that was the one on the page that was it was the the Ari role of that show, and it just was a nightmare to cast. And um, you know, how do you approach that, Sheila, when you're really getting down to a point where like we've seen everybody and by the way, I, I mean I'm not saying we could have got him or not, but I look back and go, God, I mean, could we have had Cole Hauser? Like like why didn't I For who? F- for this part. Not oh, for, oh, oh, for this okay. other I was part. Say for who? Drama? <laughs> no, 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 not for Entourage, for right. this pilot forty I did. Could we have had um Rob Morrow do this? You know, like it, it's just sometimes you you can't find it. And if you had those situations, I know. Anything? I it, well on forty. Yeah. I mean, it was really, and it was reminiscent of Entourage too with the fourth role. Yeah. It really was. It was like we got the three, you know, and then the fourth one was hard on both shows. But for on, but we found it on Entourage. It was really, really hard. And we looked in London. Remember, we yep. had a UK oh casting God. director. We looked every place, and nobody was nailing it. Nobody. And um, I'll always wonder if I missed it, like with Haley Joel, you know, because there were some there's some really good actors have gone on to do some great things. And I saw something specific. And that's why, again, I say to actors like it's not necessarily you. The person who's making the decision sees something, wants something. And honestly, usually I I felt like I had gotten it right with uh, there were very few decisions on Entourage that I felt like we we cast improperly. It happened a couple of times. And and I think the audience reacted to it and we also knew it. But, um, you know, you did. 
did such a great job for us, Sheila, and you brought so many awesome pieces of talent, including Kevin Hart, which I'll regret oh, for the rest of my hey, life. Hey, Sheila, yeah. how about this? Yeah. Kevin Hart. I ran into him. I met Kevin Hart. He said, tell your friend Doug Ellen. I said, he's a bitch. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> and just again, I, Sheila, just so you can- I also gave Kevin his first role in a which, movie. Which was what? Soul, soul Plane. Oh, boy. Uh, Jesse. Well, Jesse, uh, yeah. Jesse Trero directed uh, that, right? Yeah, yeah. He did, yeah. Well, I, I wish Sheila that- um, And I love Bow Wow. was great. But yeah. I, wish, I wish you uh, somehow jammed me to put Kevin Hart in the show somewhere. I think I tried you did. at one point. You I did, did try. And but so, I re- yeah. I remember you with um, Beverly D'Angelo. You got that right away. Yeah, we're going to get Beverly on the podcast. I mean, she's awesome. She, and, when uh, I read that script, I remember it was one of those things. It was like, oh, my God. It has to be Beverly. Yeah. And because Beverly, she was like Sue Mengers. It was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just so perfect. Yeah. Beverly was awesome. Yeah, so, she well, was. Sheila, this was great. And we were going to probably want you to come back and, and I'd talk love to some come more. back. There's so much to talk yeah, about. I'd and love to come back with, you know. So many, so many, there's so many people that li- listen to this and they're directors, writers, actors. So I think to hear from, you know, the, the Sheila, who's oh, at the end of the day, the bottom line, it, it, it starts, it starts with the casting director. And it's especially a casting director that's as accomplished uh, as Sheila. So and I'm glad we thing, know the do's and don'ts. It is the thing that can make or break a show. I'm 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 in it right now. We're casting, and and it become it starts out very daunting, you know. Especially when you're looking for you're looking for non-stars, and the younger they are, the harder it is to find that group, you know. Which is why I think a lot of times you see high school shows with 30 year olds playing high schoolers because they couldn't find those ages. But um, but. We love you. We appreciate you doing this. I love so much. you. I love you guys. And I love that you're doing this. I think it's a lot of fun. And um, it's very helpful for actors listening in yeah. and everything to see all the different parts of putting a show together and what it entails. And and I have to say, it's just great to be part of the family. You always will be, Sheila. We love you. And we will talk to you soon. Bye, Bye guys. guys. Thank Bye, you. Bye. That well, that was great. pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I miss her, too. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's always good when we see this group. And I really do mean it. I feel like right. no time has passed when we catch up. And and Sheila sounds the same. She looks the same. And you know, Sheila's a lot of fun too. Like you know, Sheila is fun to hang with, and and she's serious. And she she was always was good to actors. But let's let's talk about and Doug also too from from your standpoint again I, I, to actors. So with the dues, what let's what we learned from the Sheila interview is preparation. You come into a room. You'd be prepared and you'd be ready to go. No excuses. You left your sides in the car. You had a fight with your girlfriend. That's out the window. Yep. Nobody cares. Be prepared. Don't overstay your welcome. Yeah. Um, what were, what were some of the other, uh, yeah, I mean, she just, I and, and going in is better than the self tape, which I, I, you know, going again, in and honestly, it's a fear-based thing. We all have it, but you should read for anything. And I think even the greatest actors, and there's been some really huge, amazing actors who've been fired off of big movies because they just weren't right for the part. So I think it serves everybody better that everybody goes onto a set and feels like they got the right guy playing the right part. So, um, like the I famous said, story, right? Eric Stoltz shot for three weeks on Back to the Future before the studio said he just, and Eric Stoltz is a great actor. Great I actor. mean, you know, Academy Award nominated actor. He just didn't have the levity and the, and the humor and the comedy that Michael J. Fox ultimately brought to the role. And it's near impossible to imagine anybody else besides okay, Michael but J. Fox. Who was right behind Michael J. Fox for that part who read many, many times? Kevin Dillon? Kevin Dillon. Now, again, you can go, wow, I can't see it. I can't see right. it. Because when a movie works that well, it's hard to see it. It's hard to right. see it. And maybe it is impossible, but Kevin Dillon, who I, like I 
said, when he walked into that audition, and I'm sure he was like another grind, another this, I said, where has this guy been and how is it possible? So every actor should know it's finding the right words with the right guy and magic can happen. And uh, Sheila, though, was, you know, we battled and she was great. And she well, she stands up for herself, too. Well, she would tell you, Doug, you're wrong. And she also, right. you know, we were we were casting a New York show. She knew what she wanted also. So she was very helpful in that. And I think we all came to an understanding and made real collaborative decisions that worked. So uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed it. And uh, yeah. We'll see who we find next to bring on this. I, I, I think we should start. I think we should look for I don't know maybe uh, one of our one of our top directors. That would be uh, great. Or or and we'll get our DPs in here. And again, it, it, it's such a cliche, but it yeah, I'm using air quotes. It takes a village. So many people at the top of their game had to come together to to see your vision through on this show. And uh, you know, I, I I think it'd be helpful to 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 everybody in in this business to hear from from all of them. So let's do it. It's I agree. The only thing that was weird is. Molly has made fun of me for using air quotes in this very studio. So anyway, just remember you're using them now with your Irish cricket quotes. shirt on, like which I like. Am I getting one of those? Yeah, a, they're okay. in the back. There's a sample? They're in okay. the back. Yeah, there's a double XL back I there. I love it. Go. Anyway, thank you guys. That wraps up another episode of Victory the Podcast. I'm Doug Ellen. You can follow us at Victory the Podcast on Instagram. Leave five stars. And if you have a problem with Doug, don't put it on the Apple page. Put it on his personal account or DM him and tell him how terrible he is. And by the way, DM Dreadful Doug. If you, or if you want some fun, say something nasty to Conley on the page. He will go <laughs> at you and he will give you some comedy. You will get blocked. Enjoy. Big ball. Don't leave me up. Don't leave me up. Don't leave me up.